This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Caldwell. I'm joined tonight in the cave by Alexandra, Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Hello. Hi. Good evening. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Thomas. And <laughs> Hello, Emma. <laughs> Hello, Alexandra. This is nice. Very good. <laughs> Since we're being so nice, I'm going to nicely remind everybody listening that uh, you've got until 5pm on Wednesday the 20th of September to go into the running for all of the incredible prizes on offer through Radiothon. So even the daily prizes are up for grabs. And we, we really want to stress it doesn't matter if you didn't pledge across the big 10-day campaign to be eligible for all the prizes. As long as you subscribe by September the 20th before 5pm, you're still going to be elig- in, you're still going to be eligible for all the prizes. So so whatever show you 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 pledge to, and it would be absolutely brilliant if you did it to humble old Plato's Cave here. You go into the running for all the daily prizes offered on that day, and um, it just again want to stress that uh, uh, roughly half the station's income that allows us to continue for another twelve months comes from listeners subscribing. It's really it really is important. It's the only time of the year we really go hard with this message. We, we, we we go soft in April and then hard this time of year. Um, it's like a failing marriage. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to subscribe again just so, online. Subscribe for that horrific joke, if nothing else. And again, what I always say, even if your only contact with Triple R is is via this show as a podcast, you know this podcast and this show would not exist if it weren't for the support, the the access to equipment, the training, um, the, the, you know the bandwidth that Triple R provides. So so please call nine three double eight one zero two seven during office hours or get online rrr.org.au. All right, let's get into Plato's Cave for this week. We're going to be looking at It, the latest film to be adapted from a Stephen King novel, or at least part of one, and we will also take a look at the new low-budget Australian comedy named That's Not Me. But first, Spookers is a new Australian-New Zealand documentary uh, co-production by filmmaker Florian Habich, whose previous films have included Pulp, a film about life, death and supermarkets in 2004. That's a film I completely flipped out for, adored it. He also uh, did a film called Love Story in 2011 and quite a few before that. Spookers screened recently at the Melbourne International Film Festival and now it's screening in Melbourne twice more, once next weekend at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image and once more the weekend after. Spookers is about the haunted attraction... Spookers, which opened in 2005 in a former psychiatric hospital just south of Auckland in New Zealand. Uh, And it's where visitors go to be willingly terrorised by the Spookers performers who dress as a variety of nightmarish characters to chase the visitors around the grounds. Habitch's documentary explores the background of how Spookers came to be. It looks at the ethics of using a former psychiatric hospital in such a way. It explores the nature of fear as entertainment and it delves into the background of many of the performers, some of whom have had troubling pasts. Mm. Now, I think the person who we really need to kick off this conversation (laughs) is somebody who has actually been to Spookers. I was so excited when I heard that there was a documentary about Spookers because, yeah, I went there in November 2005. I was just sitting here thinking exactly what it was. So it would have just recently opened. opened. Wow. Yeah. And I went um, 
this is probably too much information, but um, I went on the back of a, of a pretty nasty breakup. I had friends in Auckland and they said, come over because there's this place that's just opened up that has Alex written all over it. <laughs> and it's like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about, New Zealand mental, Willis friends? Mental hospital. <laughs> and they said, yeah, there's like this old haunted ex-psychiatric hospital that's turned into a horror theme park. And I was like on the plane. <laughs> like, you cannot physically hold me back. And I got to oh, say... Hang on, so you weren't even there at the time. You specifically I flew went there to, to, to hang out with my friends. They need to have T-shirts that say that on the website. <laughs> Did you get the uh, um, I Piss My Pants at Spookers t-shirt? <laughs> I, I don't like think they, are. They, don't, they didn't really have the uh, merch developed enough by that stage. <laughs> Look, I went with a big old group of goths as, you know, who else are you going to go to Spookers <laughs> with in 2005? I went with a really large group of people. I reckon 10 to 15 people in a couple of cars and a big, big group of us poured out there and, at night and... Um, yeah, it was interesting in retrospect because it didn't have the kind of, you know, the, leg- the legend of spookers that they talk about a lot in this documentary just didn't exist because it had just started. But um, the fact that Weta had done a lot of the, they were involved in the effects. Were they um, really? And the people that they did it did a thing called that, Corn Evil. Um, they, oh, they yes. Were, yeah, so Corn Evil had been like a, a running event before they opened Spookers. That so was Corn Evil had a good reputation. The Maze Maze yeah, came The Maze Maze, yep, yep. yeah. So certainly people, you know, there was interest. Um, they weren't struggling for business. There mm-hmm. were certain aspects of the Spookers kind of gimmick that, that people were already... It was packed when we went. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I remember mostly about it um, is, is, is two things. Firstly, that it was... I remember thinking it felt like the old-fashioned drive-in crowd. Like it... it <laughs> It's probably the closest I think I've ever come in my life to being around the kind of demographic that, you know, in the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s would have gone to the drive-in. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm too young to remember that, but that's what it felt like, like kind of cars full of, of teens, cars full of horny teens. <laughs> it was really great. Going there, like deliberately wanting to be freaked out. And it was, you know, the documentary makes a thing about people freaking out, um, you know, big, big guys screaming and running away. And, you know, it talks a lot about the kind of extreme reactions. And, and you see that, like I saw that when I was there. But what I thought was really interesting um, is that people were really performing fear, the audience. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that um, there was a lot of focus in the documentary on, um, the performers themselves, so the people that work there who dress up as the scare, you know, the, the, the leather face or, you know, dress up in their kind of, you know, zombie mm-hmm. zombie nurse costumes and things. But I think that, you know, the, the, the punters perform as well. I was, I mean, I was, and I was really surprised. I was sort of coming. I would from, have loved to have seen that in the film, actually. Yeah. And there must be people who are, are frequent visitors as well. Um, I mean, they do tell one story about somebody who has repeatedly tried to go through the experience and they always freak out. And they so couldn't, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah th- th- that's an element that perhaps is missing actually. I, I, I would like to have seen yeah, that. Definitely I think, an element missing. I, I really like enjoyed this yeah. doco and I think it's largely because of that and I really, um, I think it's, you know, I mean the whole idea of this documentary, the whole idea of Spookers, the film, is really like a monsters of people too and I mm. think that's quite lovely but I really, um, the stuff that I was really fascinated with, I mean I it's about as scary as going to Dracula's Theatre Restaurant. Mm. Like, and that's no offence to the good people out there who work at Dracula's Theatre Restaurant. But it's, I mean, you can see in the documentary, it's just kind of kids in crap Halloween kind of costumes so it wasn't and sca- stuff. You didn't that find it just, scary? It, that stuff's just silly and funny. What is yeah. scary is the place. The place. The okay, place is right. genuinely, yep. genuinely disturbing. Mm. It's um, like the Arab, and I didn't, Arab I didn't, this is the old King's Seat Hospital. Yeah, yes, um, yes. In, Just outside of Auckland. And it was... 
um, I think from the 30s to the 90s, I think it was an active psychiatric. early 90s, yep. I think. Under, late under 90s. Pretty, late late 90s, 90s, yeah, yeah. Uh, under pretty bad yeah. circumstances. Like it, it sort of had a reputation of being haunted before they did yeah. Spookers there. And the film does talk a little bit about this, but I think it almost uses it as a launch pad to sort of talk about the, the, the trials and tribulations of a lot of the people that work there. You know, what is the psychological function of Spookers as a place? But I don't know whether it really gets into what is the psychological function of horror. So mm-hmm. there were, it felt like there was quite a few little avenues that really could have been dealt with. But, yep. yeah, I mean, personally, when I went to Spookers, what, what really got me the most was just the building. The scariest parts of the place were where there was no... There were no installations. There were mm-hmm. no there were no kids in you know kind of clown makeup jumping out of wardrobes and going. Oh, go, go, go. But how is it? How does it kind of function? Is it just you wander around and they yeah, all? Yeah, there's just kind of like come a path. Like, oh, okay. Um, so there's lots and lots of you know yeah. it's an old hospital, yeah. so it, it's you, an elaborate haunted house type. It's thing, exactly isn't it? Yeah, it is. you, you basically yeah. walk through and you walk through an entrance, you walk out an exit. Scary things yeah. and people jump out. Yeah, um, and it's very um, it's very elaborate in places. Mm. So in the film, you see you know like the the zombie birth and things like that. You know, there's very like lots of screaming. But I found that the most uh, there's one the incubator room yeah yeah and yeah. you know the, I mean the, the the younger kids that were there were really getting into that stuff like yeah. you know they're really really loving that kind of really almost camp Halloween mm. stuff but the stuff that really has stayed with me was things like looking down there was one moment I remember walking down a corridor and, and it passed another corridor that just went off it and you could look down quite a long way like a, you know a good 20 50 meters down this sort of empty corridor and at the very end there was obviously a young woman in an old-fashioned nurse's costume just hovering in the distance um, and it was chilling. Like, that's what I remember. That's what I remember. See, all my experiences of this sort of thing are, you know, the crap fairs in Geelong. We're just talking to Phoebe Squared about being in Geelong, uh, where you go through, you know, you go on some ride and, you know, and they sort of drag yeah. things over you and someone comes up and puts their yeah. hands that's exactly. on your shoulder. There's like, there's a bit, there was a bit at Spookers when I was there, you know, where you walk down a, a corridor and people, like hands would come out near the floor and just touch your ankles, things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's very old school vaudeville. I remember in 2005 going on the Ghost Train 2000, <laughs> and the scariest thing was it was now out of date. <laughs> yeah. So what, what do we what do we actually make of the film Spookers? Because I I really enjoyed it at first, and then mm. as it kind of went on, I, I I lost a bit of interest and investment, and I sort of felt this was a, a good curiosity piece. I could have made a really strong short, but I, I wasn't. I think it's fine. I, I enjoyed it, yeah. and I think if people go to see these screenings at Acme, you're going to have a, a great time. Time, people loved it at MIF. It, it got a really yeah. great response at MIF, but, yeah. but I agree. But it's interesting. Having oh, I've been a fan of Florian's previous films. He's a very inventive filmmaker. He likes to really mess with fact and fiction in his documentaries and put himself into it. I, I was surprised this was one of his films, and I found out later it wasn't originally going to be. He was a director for hire on this, and he actually... Uh, this, I'm relaying what a colleague told me from a Q&A he did, so this is all public knowledge. Yeah. Florian talks about it. Apparently he, he showed up there to say, I'm not going to do it, I'm sorry and got to meet some of the staff and thought, oh, you guys are great fun, actually. L- l- let's do this. So so he, he, he certainly did it with the best of intentions, but it's not his project. That and makes so much sense. His films, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. That. That's kind yeah. of the missing piece of the puzzle for me in a way. I didn't know that, but it felt... I mean, some of the interview subjects felt that they were privileged or overly privileged. I didn't think that they were particularly that interesting. In terms of screen time. Yeah. yeah like there's, there's be one... be careful using the P word now. Sorry. <laughs> there, was, there, was one, <laughs> there was one woman in particular, and I think that, that the, the, the intent was sort of... Um, at one point, they, they, 
they interview a woman who was a patient there and they interview a woman who was a nurse there. And I think that there's an effort to sort of interview the staff and talk about their the problems that they've faced in their life and their mental health issues and to sort of balance these out that, that mm. you know, no, it's not exploitation because people come to Spookers and they work here and they find a family and it helps them get through. Mm-hmm. I thought that was undercooked. I thought it was a bit feeble and a bit... I mean, the whole film's pretty corny, but in quite a kind of lovely way. And I, I did really enjoy it, but I either would have liked that held back on or gone more into. Mm. It, it felt it was a little bit neither here nor there. You got I the would, sense that they felt this was missing and yeah. so they tried to add it in, but it didn't quite gel. I think the other big contribution he made to the film was creating reenactments of some of the dreams of the staff. Like the staff have all had fairly wacky, many of the staff anyway, have had some fairly intense and wacky dreams, possibly as a result of working there. And he, he recreates those... I couldn't couldn't go with it. Just, I, I, I just didn't latch they on to it. They didn't have a great impact. Those yeah. moments they were they, they were quite small, and he made them. They they were a little bit. They were paper cut out dreams, weren't they? They, they kind they, of they kind of had an expressionist feel that. to it, which was nice. Yeah, yeah, a little bit a little bit like that. There were certain um, stylistic elements that were really kind of cute in terms of the you know presenting a character in the slow mo dance. That quite a few of them did little slow mo dances. So there were these nice little aesthetic touches. But I'm with you guys. I felt this exactly the same way as you did. There was just something, it felt like a one-trick pony that it didn't have that whole, uh, it didn't have a feature length, um, it didn't have feature length material to go behind it. And I would have been more interested in finding out more about the people who went there. I was going to say there. exactly that. I wanted yeah. to know more about King's Seat. And I, I understand that they maybe held back on that because it didn't want to be exploitative. And I really yeah. value that. Like, I think yeah. that that's a very, you know, aware thing to do. But, but at the same time... one woman, just one woman. Yeah, it was very... It dealt with that. I mean, and I, I wonder if there's a story behind it um, about why they didn't really go that much into the into the history of King's Seat, about maybe. why it closed and what happened there and its maybe reputation of being haunted. A legal and, thing? Who yeah, knows? It, it, it almost felt like there was sort of unfinished... That, that there's a background story about why that stuff wasn't elaborated on. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it, yeah, and maybe if it didn't want to be... I understand if they felt, no, no, if we put that in there, it would be exploitative, but then it's like, well, why put it in there at all? Mm, um, it sort mm. of... It, it felt like not enough but too much, if, mm. if you know what I mean, and there was this strange tension. It's a really fun film and I think it has a lot of heart and I think that's why people have really bonded with it because it's these kind of crazy-looking kids in those crap coloured contact lenses with you know like evil Some clown of them makeup really and good the evil the clown he was lovely talking wasn't he? about talking about he clowns, was my favorite we, we, a bit we, of clowns, we got more, more evil clowns, clowns coming yeah. up but um that that image that they use the still from the yeah, film he's beautiful with him with guy. the chainsaw mm-hmm. and just his whole physique and his size running past that building it's a really compelling i would have still. liked i would have loved more interviews with him i thought he was mm. a really yeah. fascinating person like a really interesting yeah, subject yeah. it almost felt, needed a lot more people or a lot fewer yeah i, I felt that i spent yeah. too much time with some people that I didn't find that interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, the the family yeah. that own it certainly had an interesting story. I like that the uh, it was a, an old an older couple, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and were, the, they, they don't like horror movies. They were quite <laughs> no. cute, but it was almost it was almost milked too much. And I get that you know yeah. it's their place, so obviously you're going to kind of profile them. But it sort of reached a point where it's like, okay, we're missing out on finding out about these other interesting things, and it's kind of spending too much time with these people. Yeah, it just yeah. felt the balance was off. I think. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that it, it, it gets away with it because there is a real heart to it. 
hearts. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I think it's quite a novel heart. You know, there's a lot of joy in it. I'm glad I just know about this subject matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as much as I say, I didn't engage with the film as much as I wanted to. Yes. I still yeah. very much enjoyed it. It's a and really sweet yeah. movie. Yeah, it was very sweet. And this whole thing was new to me and I certainly really enjoyed it. It's a great place. I can recommend it. Yeah, well, there we go. So you can catch Spookers at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. Uh, this Sunday there is a screening and then the Saturday following on the 23rd of September there's a screening. Just the two screenings and, the, and then no doubt it will get it will get a home entertainment release. But go and check it out, get a taste for it and no doubt you'll be booking a trip to New Zealand very soon. <laughs> You're listening to Plato's Cave with Thomas, Emma and Alex. This is 3 Triple R. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. It is a new adaptation of Stephen King's 1986 novel, which has been adapted for the screen once before as a 1990 miniseries for television. This new film is directed by Argentinian director Andreas Muschietti, who previously directed the 2013 horror film Mama. And the writers include Annabelle screenplay writer Gary Dalberman and Carrie Fukuyanga, who wrote and directed Beasts of No Nation and, and directed the first series of True Detective. This version of It only deals with the parts of the book that concern what happened to the seven characters when they were children and faced off against an evil being that frequently took the form of a circus clown named Pennywise. Now, while these sections of the book were set in the 1950s, they are now set in the 1980s for this film. So the idea is there will be a second film, and it looks very likely there will be a second film, that's set in the present day and will feature the children as adults. But for now, we just have this one film, and it's a blend of supernatural horror, fantasy and coming-of-age adventure narratives. Mm. Emma, you and I have both gone to see this. We have. I've been trying to get my head around the... It's, the, the box office for this film has been insanely it's huge. It's nuts, huh? I yeah. think it's so interesting how big this film is. Yes. Horror, been, horror remakes are not traditionally big box office. No, winners. it must be the Stephen King branding and yeah. also I suspect this, this 80s retro thing, which is strong with this film. But um, I've been the, trying to get my head the around... The marketing the, as well. I think the pre-marketing like months ago they were releasing all that poster art and the little teaser trailers. And I think it's the that. first horror film with this kind of marketing budget and push for a long mm. time, I think. But what I was going to say is critically I can't quite get my head around where this film has been positioned. I have read radically different opinions okay. on this. Okay, I haven't read any. Yeah, I, I was I'm curious just to know. My own. <laughs> because I have, I have mixed feelings of this film, yeah. mostly in the positive but with some points mm -hmm. of um, what, do you, what do we call it? Uh, I have some concerns and issues yeah, that were worth right. discussing and no doubt we'll get into it. Overall, okay. I really like this. But, um, but yeah, where yeah. do you stand on this? Where do I stand? Are you a Stephen King fan? No, no. Well, look, when I say no, that's really, that's really uh, no. No, I, 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 I'm more with Stephen King. I'm sort of, I find his books to be very um, uh, long and uh, tedious. <laughs> I've just started reading it, and it's as bad as Tolkien. It just—he mm. goes all over the but, place. But he—he he could do with a good editor. Um, 
I think Stephen King can do anything now because Stephen King just makes money. But um, he, he makes often... I think that Stephen King translated or interpreted into film does so well because his strength comes in the co- in the concepts, not so much the entire storylines or the detail that he goes into. Like, he just goes into these rambling indulgences where he goes off on a sideline character and, you know, get lost or whatever. People love that, though. People, you know, the Stephen King fans absolutely love that. But I find that if someone's really good at um, film pacing, editing, they can bring a Steve, even in a filmic sense, they can bring a Stephen King concept in beautifully tight and um, and the, the, the cons- because the concepts are so strong, there's a lot to work with. Something like The Mist, which was, um, uh, what's Frank our Darabont Frank Darabont, yeah. who has made a career out it's of making... Third. That was his third King yeah, adaptation, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. You know, Shawshank Redemption, that Channel 9 draw, um, bring out every time they <laughs> have the, a program the council. Whenever you ask, whenever you <laughs> yes. ask a footballer, what's your favourite film? It's always Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. I think it's also the online dating film. You know, what's your favourite film? Shawshank Redemption. Once upon a time, it was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, don't, no. put the, don't put those two films in the same category, please. Uh, <laughs> online dating, that's what... Uh, not that I do that anymore. No. But, um, uh, yeah, the I think that what was really clever about this was that they did decide to take the, the just a children's story and create a film out of that. I was wondering how they were going to do that. I wasn't sure um, that I didn't know that was going to happen before I saw the film and the fact that they also moved it so that because the miniseries when they actually made the miniseries in 1990 Tommy Lee Wallace miniseries tip of the hat to Halloween 3 season of The Witch there that he made one of my favourites yes Alex I know that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah when they did that they uh, well that's a mini, that was a miniseries so it was like three and a half hours it's or so something long. like that it, the first it is just so yeah. long <laughs> but the storyline mm. does work Warrant that, and you know, and, and also that played with very much the um, the TV format, you know, yeah. and it also was very melodramatic. So this, I think, they to take it then and make the early stuff in the eighties, where the other stuff sort of you know ended, was a nice, clever little switch. And the idea being, no doubt, that when the second film comes out, that's going to be modern day. Is, was a nice little idea. I thought, no, this this is great. And, you know, the, we've, we've got Richie. The kid Richie was, um, what's his name? Finn. He was in Stranger Things. He's become the, he's a kid who would never have lived, well, obviously because of his age, wouldn't have uh, been around in the 80s, but has become the 80s has become kid. The, yeah, with this film in Stranger Things. Yeah, yes, I know yeah. who you mean. He's great. He's great. So um, I think that was really smart and it kept it really tight. It was really nicely paced. It's a very, I didn't feel that um, this was a remarkable horror movie, by any any stretch of the word, but it is a really solid little mainstream horror film. I can see how it's it, why it's done well. I I began the film thinking the opening sequence was quite quite, quite chilling and, and, and confronting. It's nasty, yeah, and um, yeah, very and nasty. And the rest, nothing that happens in the rest of the film really matches that. But I think establishing that threat does provide some nice tension throughout the film. I was then a bit worried about how quickly they were moving through plot detail. Not having read the book, it just seemed like they were cramming in an awful lot of character detail and all these characters suddenly having these big moments. It seemed very rushed for the first 20 minutes and then it settled into something that better resembled Stand By Me. Yeah. And and that's when suddenly the film began to really work for me. I stopped thinking of it as a horror. I wasn't at all invested in whether I was scared or not. This was a a, a sort of boy's own and one token female own. Um... (laughs) Uh, kind of Goonies-esque 
fantasy adventure film yes. that was very Stand By Me and that character stuff was some of the, the, the best material and then I kind of just enjoyed it as a bit of a sort of nice throwback to the 80s that didn't feel like retro wank as well I, I'm really not a fan of this this whole move now to replicate older film periods yeah and they didn't go too heavy handed on the 80s stuff no but you could have totally believed this mm. film may have come out in the late 80s and in fact if, if it did I probably mm. would have praised it far more than I do now because mm-hmm. it's I think we get a bit um sort of rose-coloured glasses with with older films and we forgive them for more things that we, we wouldn't forgive them for now. But I think if this was made in the 80s, it would be a minor masterpiece where, 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 where now I did pick up on things that I thought... In 2017, I'm not so impressed that you've, you, yeah. you've done this. But overall, this this very much worked for me. Had some good horror imagery. I think that that, um, well, that the, the Georgie death, everyone knows the Georgie death at the start, um, is very spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> it pretty really, sadistic, actually. For, yeah, for, yeah. It's, it's, especially compared to the rest of the film, absolutely. the way they go into detail with that. Yeah. But I think that that, um, like that painting, the, the, the painting that came alive. Which I, I believe is an invention was, in the film. I think in the... In the well, this, uh, there was a lot I'm not sure what fans of the book would actually think of this because it does take a lot of liberties that weren't there in the book well you've got it and having yeah. read about some of the stuff that's in the book yes I, I'm very, I know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Beverly I, I, the Beverly stuff oh, yeah. yeah I thought yeah. people were, were, were I thought that was a, a a joke when people no. were telling me about this scene which didn't make the miniseries or this film nope yeah thank god they removed I that <laughs> people who've read the book will know just go onto social media if you don't know what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about yeah, there's a very controversial scene in the novel that happens quite late. I think they did. Um, but you, you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't film it. You, you, no, <laughs> there are laws. No, yeah, there are laws. No. Yeah. But also, uh, Beverly was a little bit more sexualized in this, just slightly. You know, they were they played. I don't think in the miniseries they played up on the fact that there were rumors that she was like the town bike in uh, inverted commas. I like that stuff because it was dealing with with slut shaming. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I thought she was quite a good character, even though she was defined by being the woman. Yeah. And th- yeah. this is one thing that did a little bit annoy me in this film, which was a very 80s thing, where the characters are all defined by a particular thing. Yes. So you had the kid who talked too much and was That's all mouthy. That's a Stephen King thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Is, but, it is. Yeah, but yeah, if you're yeah. going to do a film adaptation in 2017, mm, you can improve yeah. upon these things. And we had the black kid, the Jewish kid, yep. the the fat kid, and the girl. The fat kid, yeah, yeah, yeah and, of course. Uh, so, we, you know, defining yeah. people by body shape or by colour or by, by gender is... And the girl's just... The girl. Yeah, and it's a, re- it's a really good case study for this idea of what normal normality is. When people mm. talk about, I'm, I'm probably don't have the right language to express what I want to get across here, but but this idea that the the, the norm is the white straight male, mm-hmm. and then all these other characters are defined by how they differentiate from that. Yeah, I and know. You, you see it here, but you see it in a lot of eighties. I mean, one of my favourite films from the eighties is The Goonies, and they, they 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 do that in that film. Yes, as well. You have yes. the Asian kid. I mean, they, they they have two girls, but you have the hot one and the quirky one, the tomboy yeah. one in The Goonies. So, it's when when you see this in popular culture, it's very hard not to ever not see it again. But they call it the Smurfette syndrome, isn't it? Another expression yes. I've heard, where you have all these <laughs> narratives with a group of guys, and then there's just the girl, and she's defined by being not a guy. Exactly. I think that that, that was definitely written into the book, though. So I think to, to change that in the film was probably, not that they couldn't change it, but uh, was would probably have been a, a very bold move. I wish they went there. Alex, you yeah. weren't at all yeah. interested in I seeing really, this. I really so because it's one thing that you guys in. aren't yeah. talking about, and I'm kind of curious, because my... Um, I'm really fascinated by the fact that we've not talked about Pennywise. I have this whole thing about 
Um, I'm fascinated. I, I don't find evil clowns scary, and I think that's why it never really worked for me because it's sort of a failed, but the, it's a sort of a failed monster. I don't get into the fetishism of Pennywise, but at the same time, I think it's a, the history of of the evil clown is really fascinating. So it's a really classic trickster figure, and, and mm-hmm. trickster, you know, the trickster goes back to you know shamans were tricksters. You know, mm. there's this long history of um, shamans and and the trickster, you know, the Joker. And when we think of cinema, I think we think of um, you know Jim Carrey in the mask as like the classic trickster figure. But you know, Jerry Lewis was a trickster and Pennywise is like, you know, the evil clown movies are the classic trickster films. John Wayne Gacy Exactly, was a exactly. But these go back to Harlequin in the Commedia yep. dell'Arte's, you know, you know, the Piero. evil, the, the devil. Well, Harlequin especially was like the devil. Yes, yes, The yes. devil trickster. Exactly. And I think that it's a really interesting time now. I'm really fascinated by the strong response that it is getting now. Now, obviously, this film was conceived before Trump. But Trump is such a trickster figure. He's such a classic <laughs> in a comedia sense, like yeah. in a really classic Italian theatrical way. And that, that, he's that's a buffoon. his appeal. To like, you know, yeah. And he plays yeah. the buffoon and I think he's very mm. aware of it. And, and I don't mean this in a, you know, kind of making a political call that you can no. probably guess what my politics is. But I think it's a really, like, he's consciously a trickster figure. We can call and him a bozo and that actually yeah, comes he plays from it one up. of the like, he absolutely, like Trump absolutely plays up this trickster figure. I think it's a really interesting time now to be making trickster movies and I think the evil clown is such a powerful trickster figure and I think mm. I can't help but, I mean, I, I haven't seen the film, but I do think there's, there is a kind of cultural fascination with these kind of buffoonish, jokery, dangerous trickster figures because know, there is one yeah. dominating the entire mm. Western world. But like, it's interesting mm-hmm. because I... Um, I think the Pennywise stuff in this was great, but it didn't leave a lasting impression on me. I just quite like. Just liked, wasn't Tim Curry. I just like the. I've never seen the original. I've never seen the Tim mini Curry's series. Great. Yeah, I, I, I actually have no <laughs> doubt of that. But I, 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 I the never. Um, is great. I um I like the uncanniness yeah. of this film. I mean, this film is more kind of some some really fun uncanny moments that more remind me of young Sherlock Holmes. Actually, mm. that's 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 a really weird random film. This reminded me of because of that boy's own adventure with mm. some quirky supernatural stuff. But um. But yeah. what's also weird about some of the discussion of it is this idea that Pennywise began the popular culture idea of scary clowns, and that's not just not oh, true. Who is no, it? no, no, no. And the, the figure I keep thinking of that? is: Have people been saying there is that? a general really? understanding that this is what made the scary clown mainstream? And, and that no, just, no, no, I keep no. thinking of a Halloween. So, but no. also the Joker. I mean, the Joker yeah. is yes. one of the largest pop culture figures, and he is the scary clown. And, he, and the Joker is riffing really explicitly again on this commedia tra- tradition. Mm. You yeah. know, I mean, this all goes back to. 15th century Italian theatre. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not a buried history. Um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote an amazing story I think you can find online called Hop Frog. I don't know if you guys know Hop Frog. It's one of his best. It's not no, as known know as that. the, you know, the cask of Armatildo. I can never get the name right or, you know, Mask of the Red Death or all that stuff. But I think right. it's one of his best stories. Hop yeah. Frog, it's an evil clown story. Yeah. Like, it's really good, really dark, yeah, really, yeah. really twisted. I think that um, uh, Skarsgård was... Um, uh, I love... T- t- well, Tim Curry's fantastic. I think the idea of playing the clown is harder than anyone really gives someone credit for because clowning is a definite art and yeah. and Bill uh, Skarsgård's got a very sweet little innocent face but he's got very narrow around the, the chin and that worked very really well in this Pennywise guys because they were able to put those kind of rabbit teeth into him and um, he's got these also very large eyes that they played with going from blue to to you know yellow when he was in his more maniacal form um, and I think he really stepped up to the plate I think he was actually just as good as Tim Curry I yeah. must say yeah. it was a great performance I didn't yeah. get scared but I, I really enjoyed the performance yeah it's like juggalos mm. but like, I do who's scared of a juggalo yeah, I don't know scary, no, you listen to their scary. music and it shins terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying <laughs> that, that, that was a cheap shot wasn't it you don't have to be you don't have to be scared <laughs> to easy. enjoy a horror movie that's well, Halloween thing. I mean Halloween's like 
you know, such an important film in the in the tradition of clowns and horror. But what yes. I love about Halloween is that it's it's Michael when he's little. Yeah, he's, Michael Myers as an adult doesn't dress as a clown. He's not the James Wayne, uh, John Wayne Gacy cl- evil clown figure, but mm-hmm. he starts off as a little kid being an earnest clown. clown. And I love how it almost feels like Halloween was subverting the evil clown ten years before it. You know, mm-hmm. twelve years before the it film. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I really enjoyed this version of it. It, it doesn't stand up to things like Halloween or, or, or the classics of the 80s, but I really enjoyed it and I, I can see why it's doing well. You're listening to Plato's Cave with Emma, Alex and Thomas. This is 3 Triple R. 3 Triple R. That's Not Me is a new low-budget Australian comedy by Melbourne filmmakers and husband and wife team Gregory Erdstein and Alice Fulcher. Both of them wrote the film as well as being two of the producers. Erdstein is the director and Fulcher plays the lead role of identical twin Polly Cuthbert. Polly is a frustrated actor struggling to land the role she needs to advance her career and dealing with the fact that her twin sister's career as an actor is starting to take off. Living in the shadow of a more successful sibling was bad enough, but things turn out to be even worse when people keep mistaking Polly for her high-profile sister. So that's not me. Very low budget. I believe they only shot this on $60,000, which Gee is sort whiz. of... Good on them. Over yeah. quite a long props. period of time. Major props. Yeah, it's a hell of an accomplishment. And, well, I, I always hesitate about do we say things like this because then we're in the danger of saying, well, it's a good film but for that. No, I, don't, I, I think this is a good film full stop. Yeah, no, I, I would never have picked it for that lower budget. I it doesn't say. look I've like seen, a low budget film, film does I've it? I've seen films made on way, way, way more <laughs> money than that that do not look as good as this film looks. I'm genuinely amazed how much polish this film has. I'm really, really struck that it was such a low-budget film. There is one point where they go to LA. Was that done in Melbourne as well? I want to know. I know a lot of that was shot in Melbourne. Was it? I think it all was. The whole thing? Because it did actually look quite like, although it was a little bit dull (laughs) one day in LA, and I thought, no, LA's never dull. That's Melbourne. (laughs) No, I, I, I... There's about a billion interviews with them around where you can double check yeah, that fact. But I I, check. I'm pretty I sure check. they did shoot it all in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, yes, definitely the the beloved Astor Theatre got a little bit. That's of a nice little thing, isn't it? Those yeah. little scenes. That's like, oh, I've been there. The tote. <laughs> The toast. It's always nice to see. Where else was there? Oh, the Royston Hotel. I noticed that. In the, see, this is the thing. You know, you see a film from your hometown, this sort of thing is always going to, you know, make you excited. I mean, even watching something like Dogs in Space now, it's still like, oh, my God, look at that. That's Melbourne, you know. Um, and that's sort of a very beguiling aspect of watching something. Yeah, like it's, it. it's a funny thing, isn't it? it yeah. I think it's worse when they're trying to part. And, of course, you have to do this when you make films, but it's worse when they try to pass it off as something completely different. Yeah. Like, remember, there was so a, say, have you seen Queen of the Damned? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Or, or, or Ghost Rider, they yeah. do it in as well. Um, and even Love and Other Catastrophes back in the day kind of did my head in because a lot of it was set in Melbourne Uni and I knew that the way the characters were moving through the locations was geographically impossible. Yeah. And this is a completely unfair way to look at it. It but, is. But with it this is, film, but we can't help it. I sort of enjoyed <laughs> seeing the locations, but it didn't weigh on me because I, I think this is a really well-written film. They're really well drawn characters um, Fulcher's lead performance is spectacular it's really yeah. solid I mean she's I mean, a natural isn't yeah, she it's, it's, is it just me or no I it's can, a really yeah. charming little 
whole film. I mean, it is a little film. It's quite slight and I don't say that as a criticism because it's not trying to be anything more. I think that it's um, it's a really – it's a. I mean, I used this film uh, this word earlier, but it's a really joyful little film. Like yeah. it's really happy being itself and I think it's a film about being happy about being yourself and I like that this film is just so comfortable in its own skin. Yeah, um, yeah. It's quite – it's, it's – um, my hate on is smug. I hate smug movies and this is the opposite of a smug movie. It's a really honest little film and it yeah. is little and it is, you know, it's a small story. The scale is not big and yeah. epic but it's very confident doing that and it's very happy not being epic and I like, That's I respect it for that. That's it, a really good point and I'd it is smug. It's, quirk, it's not quirky either. No. It, it is, I don't think it's whimsical or quirky, which is usually the way these kind of films end up. It, it could have easily tipped over into that, but it didn't. And I think that was her yeah. performance. I think yeah. that she, I mean, if she was a little playing it a little bit more cutesy, yes. it could have been quite shrill. Exactly. It, it really could have fallen into that. It was interesting watching it on the back of Ali's Wedding last week, which is another Melbourne, yeah. very, mm-hmm. very Melbourne film. Um, and I, I wouldn't attempt to compare them. But something that you said last week, Emma, about Ali's Wedding... Um, I thought about a lot when I was watching um, That's Not Me, which was uh, an observation that, that I share, obviously, which is, you know, films aren't made in a vacuum. They're just, mm. you know, that films soak up the, you know, the context that they're made in. And one of the things that really struck me, and it's certainly not a cri- criticism, but it some- really struck me with um, That's Not Me, is that it genuinely feels out of time. It, it mm. really does. It's one of the rare films that I've seen that feels like it could have been made 20 years ago. Mm, it's yeah, it's so it's so caught it it just creates a little humetically sealed little bubble that its story takes place in and it's I just I rarely ever see that usually films really kind of wear the imprint of the culture that they're made I think um, if if anything I think that it just reflected the times in terms of the editing and some of the stylistically yeah elements. like the soundtrack yeah. and things like that exactly but, um, exactly but well, otherwise the, the soundtrack's quite orchestral and lush I mean they really kind of punched above the belt with with how strong the soundtrack is and, and I, a lot I, of electronic stuff as well wasn't there yeah but yeah. It, it, it's strong and it's confident and it feels like a Hollywood film soundtrack. I'm which, genuinely amazed that it cost yeah. that 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 it was that low budget. I mm. mean, it was obviously like an independent film, but I'm mm-hmm. really even for an independent film, that's an extraordinarily low pot of cash to be working with, and it really, mm. I'm really gobsmacked because mm. it really is is pretty slick. I think it's a pretty slick film, both in yeah. terms of obviously the script and the performance, but the the actual kind of technical finish on this film. And it's mm. smart, just the way it deals yeah. with family and, and this kind of self esteem and and th- this idea of competing against somebody who you can't help but compete against, but it's obviously such a fruitless thing to do and I like the fact that it's, it, it ended you know it ended strongly it, it it doesn't cop out and I think there's a moment that deliberately gets you very worried about where it's going to go and then you realise no this is a really smart film made by very clever people very sincere mm, people mm. and I like the slight bittersweet feel to the end there's a couple of points. The uh, only thing I would say is there's a couple of points where I thought, oh, God, you could push that a little bit further, that they they, they kind of moved into the embarrassment, the, the scenes that, you know, and they played a lot with that sort of awkwardness and embarrassing scenes. And I thought with the writing they could have pushed it a little bit further in some spots, but um, there's definitely, you know, the legs here of you can see filmmakers who know what they're doing and that have 
the with some more money could have the opportunity to do something really really interesting. Yeah, this is an exciting team of people mm. to, it feels, to look it out feels for like, in the future. Like yeah. the early career film of, of yeah, exactly. it, it, you know, this is the, I mean with with actual money and actual you know I, I just can't even imagine this is it's mm. a really accessible film and and indie film doesn't have a reputation perhaps for being wholly accessible. No, especially um, Australian indie film doesn't tend yeah, to have a, a it, great reputation, um, which we often fight against. But um, but I think <laughs> this is one that's really worth seeing. These are sort of stars behind and in front of the camera yeah. in the making. It's, here. A, it's a nice little film. It's got yeah. a nice energy, and it's yeah, it's it's a very democratic film in that I think that it would appeal to a kind of. It's the film that you take your mum to. Mm. Oh, a nice one. Take everybody mm. to it. That's take not take everybody's mum. I have met yeah. the filmmakers in several occasions. So I'll just openly <laughs> say, I, and they're lovely people as well. Oh, so. That helps. That actually it really does, it shouldn't does help, help, but it yeah. really does. <laughs> I actually heard that the, on good authority that the cinema jokes were actual experiences in real life. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that they've moved in the artistic community and they've moved in the cinema scene for quite a while, so yeah. a lot of actual experiences went into this film. Yes. Yeah, there's some re- really douchey characters that you know are people There's one met. male character yeah. that I've met on numerous yeah. occasions. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> we all know that guy. I went through a phase in my 20s where it was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> with, with less success. Hey, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Spookers is screening at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image on Sunday the 17th of September in Saturday. 23rd of September, courtesy of Madman Entertainment. It is on wide release, courtesy of Roadshow Entertainment, and that's not me. He's screening in selected palace cinemas, courtesy of Shoreline Entertainment. You've been listening to Thomas Caldwell, Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood on Plato's Cave. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.